Welcome to the Steadfast Carlsbad podcast. This morning's message was taken out of our 10 a.m. service. Let's jump right in, and we hope you're encouraged. Thanks for tuning in. If perfection were found through the Levitical priesthood, why would we need a different kind of priest? That's the question, right? Uh, and, and remember the Levitical priesthood, this was the tribes, Abraham, and Abraham begot Isaac, and then Jacob, and then Jacob had the 12 tribes of Israel. We have Levi, the Levites, who they, weren't, they didn't own land. They were the priests. And all the priests came from this line. That's where Aaron came from. So we see Levitical, and we see Aaronic. These are all in line with uh, the Levites. Yet, we have this Melchizedek, who is before Levi. And we talked a lot about this last week who was like still not, Levi was in Abraham. He's like his great grandpa. And yet we have Melchizedek being honored by Abraham. So however great Levi was, Abraham had honored Melchizedek and put himself under him. And so uh, there's a lot of questions. We've talked about this. Was Melchizedek uh, a Christophany? We don't know for sure. And there's a, there's a lot of good evidence that it, that it could have been that this, in fact, was Jesus. Um, because even, even Abraham, or Jesus talks about, I think it's in John 8. I would know for sure if I had my notes. Um, if, uh, he, he talks about how Abraham rejoiced to see the day and did when he saw it. Like he was able to see it. So like how in the world did Abraham see this? Well, maybe this is what it's talking about. You know, that this was... He saw Jesus in, in some sense. We don't know. But what we do know is this Melchizedek was not given a genealogy. Where Genesis is full of genealogies, Melchizedek does not have one. He doesn't have parents. He doesn't have the end, right? Because it'd be like, this guy begot this guy, this guy begot this guy, this guy begot this guy, and this one, this one, this one, this one. And then they died, you know? And then they lived however many years, and they begot these people, and then they lived this many more, and then they were no more. They were dead. The Melchizedek, there's no genealogy. So whether is, and this is the cool thing is, whether this is a Christophany 100% where, where God has come to earth for a short time to do a really cool work with Melchizedek. By the way, he uses the bread and the wine. What a trip. We're gonna do communion today because it's the first uh, Sunday of the month. But like he refreshes him with, oh, such a symbol. What a cool symbol. So whether it is a Christophany or this unique character that God used and decided not to give us any more details in order to use him as a picture of Christ that was to come, we don't know. But the message is, stays exactly the same. That this was a different kind of priesthood. And so this first verse is asking the question or you know, bringing up you know, the issue is if there was perfection in the Levitical priesthood, then why would we need another priest? And really, he's like, he's gonna really try and force them to think back to what it was like when they were under the law. I mean, was this really as good as you remember it to be? You know, we talk about that, you know, like the nostalgia. Nostalgia, man, it's just, it's not nearly as, it's, you always remember it better than it was. You know, when you're a kid, you remember Fun Dip? Yeah, it's like, that was the coolest candy ever. It's like, it's chalk, right? And, sh- and sugar and ac- some sort of acid, eat- teeth-eating acid, you know? Maybe you still love it, I don't know. But, but it was like, oh, this is amazing, you know? And you're like, oh. 
I, I mean, any candy bar was amazing. Now I'm so picky when I'm digging through my children's Halloween candy. <laughs> like, you're like, I'm not eating that. Uh, three Musketeers, yeah, thank you. No, this seems like a half-baked idea. Sorry for you Three Musketeers fans. Where's the rest of it? Anyway, just nougat, man? Anyway, but the Reese's, those things are gone. They're gone. But it's all, like, it's not as good as you remember. When you were a kid, you'd even eat the good and plenties, you know? Whatever your juju, whatever, all of it. Like, I don't know. But there's, there's something about like remembering it different than it in fact was. And so he's trying to remind them like, why would we need a new priest if the Levitical, Aaronic priesthood was good? All right? So why would, why would we need that? Verse 12, for the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man is officiated at the altar. I think the idea here is that this is not, it's not apples to apples. It's apples to oranges. This is a completely different thing that, that you got to get your eyes off. Of. And remember that this, the Levitical priesthood had a beginning, Right? Where was really the beginning of it all? We, you know, it obviously starts with the tribe of Levi. We see it really come to fruition and, and I guess clarity in Aaron, uh, the Mosaic covenant that takes place up at Sinai. And we're given the law and we're given all these ways. And again, remember this was so that God could dwell in the camp so that he could be there with them, that he would go with them. And we've, the, the tabernacle was, in a sense, built like a mini garden. Like that there was a place to go back to the garden, but not really. You know, it was like, it was a sign and a symbol, but there was, there was all these issues between a holy God and sinful man. And so there was a way, though, through the, through the animals who would take on, by the hands, they'd take on the sin of the people. Both the priest and the people, these animals would take it on, and what would happen to them? They'd be sacrificed and their blood would be shed. And this is a sign that sin is serious and it costs and it brings forth death. Death will be required of sin. The end of sin is in fact death. And of course, this alone is and it's an incredible symbol. Like what's to come? Jesus, the, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. How did he do it? He zapped himself, you know, up here and over there and, and he became the ruler. No, what did he do? As he's sitting there and passing out the, you know, or being part of the elements and Passover, he's like, you see this bread? He's like, you guys know who I am? I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be broken. My blood's gonna be shed. As you look back at the lamb and the doorposts and all that, you're gonna, you look at that and you remember. But I'm the one now. I'm the one. It was all pointing to not just a temporary thing, but something that would be eternal and would not bring temporary relief, but something much more. Do you guys, uh, there was once a year where the, where the priest would deal with the sins of the people specifically. It was uh, called Yom Kippur, right? What's the na other name for that? Does anybody know? Day of Atonement? Right, yes, Day of Atonement. What was the idea of atonement? Atonement was like a covering. It was a covering. But what Jesus came to do was not just to cover, but it was to make dead men live in him. So now everybody that's in him, they die too, and then they're raised up again anew in Christ as he's the first fruit of that. So as 
good as it was to have a covering and a way to enter back into the temple and the tabernacle and have God go with you. And when you're honoring him, he's blessing and there's blessings flow and he's, you're win, he's winning battles and, and he's there, he's with them. Moses understood this. He knew the, the, the importance of having God with him. Even remember after the golden calf and, and God's like, I'm so done with you. I'm just gonna work with just you from now on, Moses. And he's like, no, 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 you've got to stick with your people. And he's like, fine, I'll bless your people. I'll send them to the land. I'm not going. He says, if you don't go, I'm not going. He recognized that the presence of God was, was the gift, not the land. And this was all still just such a symbol. It was such a, ah, just a bummer. It's not quite what you had hoped it would be. It's not the reality of it all. So there's a hoping and a longing and a looking. And then when Jesus comes, the law is changed. The priesthood's changed. The law has changed. Everything's different from this point on, right? And then there's also part of the issue here is verse 14. For it's evident that the Lord arose from Judah because he says, this is the, the, the law priesthood has been changed from what you think it is because Jesus wasn't a Levite. And that you can imagine, this is one of the big issues that they would have had at this time. Well, what, how was he a priest anyway? He wasn't of the tribe of, Lev, of Levi, and so he's saying that this is actually a different, a different type of priesthood. Verse 14, for it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek these arises, uh, there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. So we have... Uh, Jesus of the tribe of Judah. What was the tribe of Judah known for? Not, not priests, but what? Kings. This is like the line of Judah. This is David, right? The, there's all the covenants and the Davidic is that of the throne of the king, right? David was this, a great, great picture of a king and also a terrible picture of a human being, you know? You know, like, and some, he can be, he was both. And yet he's a man after God's own heart. I, I saw, it was a funny, a funny video. And it was uh, David meeting Uriah in heaven. It's like, I guess I'll just let it about anybody in here, huh? <laughs> hey man, about that, you know? <laughs> so we have this man that's, but, but it's David. He was the king, uh, uh, a, a symbol of what was to come, right? And even David's lineage is so interesting of how it came through Ruth. And it's just, oh man, the, the, the details. It's so easy to like, when you read the Bible, to like, when you start looking at family lines, you're like, uh, this kind of reminds you of going to someone's house and then they start turning on their family videos. And you're like, ah, <laughs> This means a lot to you, I can tell. So I'll just stay for a little bit. Wow, cool. They did say that word wrong, didn't they? You know, that was cute, right? Just kidding. I'm not trying to be cold, but you get the idea, right? Let me just tell you, your family videos are amazing to you, but to other people, maybe not so much. You'll find out, okay, quickly. Look at their faces. Hey. But the, the importance is in the lineage, that this was all a plan from the beginning and there's so many messy people in the line. But Jesus came from the line of Judah. And what's the interesting thing about Melchizedek? Yes, he's a priest, the high priest. But what else is he? The king of Salem, 
right? So he's a king and he's a priest. That's why Jesus is a completely different kind of priesthood. And we needed a king and a priest because the priest is the one that ushers in the people of God as a representative, as, as the one who helps make a way and brings people in. We have this great high priest, which in Hebrews 4, we talks about this compassionate high priest that sympathizes with our weaknesses. You know, he was tempted in all points. Yeah, he didn't sin, but he, he gets it. He knows what we're going through. And so we're able now to come boldly before the throne of grace, not to have to stay outside. This is a different kind of priest. So uh, that's why he's saying it's not, he's from the line of Judah, so he's not from the Levitical at all. This is a different kind of priesthood, one that is endless and has the power of endless life. So this this speaks to something that doesn't have a beginning or an end. It has no start, has no finishing point. This is, this is the kind of priesthood that we now have, the priest we now have. Verse 17, for he testifies, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And that is from Psalm 110. For on the other hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And this is really important for anyone who's thinking about going back to understand these people. There's an annulling of the former commandment. Like the things that you used to do, it's been annulled. Like the idea of annulled, it's just, it's been set aside. It's no longer, it's no longer in the mix. We don't need this anymore. This is not because Jesus came to fulfill the law. He took care of the law. He, he lived and fulfilled it. And, and he's, it's not that he threw it away. He fulfilled it for us. Now we're, we're living through Christ. Christ through us. We have this, the Holy Spirit living inside of us is the same spirit living inside of him. So it's a beautiful picture. But the old is gone now. It's set aside. Because of what? It's weakness and unprofitableness. It worked. In a sense, it worked as like a, you know, concession. It kind of helped, right? As far as like having God around again, but it was missing the, the power, right? Because were men really transformed? No, they needed the, the changing of the heart, and you see it in the prophets and they're, 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 they're looking to the day where hearts will be changed, where, where they'd be softened, where we could, we could become made new. That's what Jesus came to do. So what the old law, what the old covenant was doing, the old priesthood was doing, was covering sin for a season to, to, to let God dwell in the camp. This is something so much greater because of the weakness and the unprofitableness. It, it couldn't make us righteous, the law. I mean, sure, if you could have kept the whole thing from birth, no one's done that, you know, aside from Christ. It, we could, it, it, so it, it can't really make you righteous. It can't make you, you know, holy. You can't do anything you, you know, whatever. A holy set apart, yeah, sure. But like, you're never gonna be able to live the kind of life that you were created to live that was found in the garden, that was God and man walking together. God and man ruling, in a sense, together. 
when God made man and created humanity, he did it not because he wanted to see, you know, how long it would take for us to fall. He did it and he gave us creative agency and he wanted to use us for his good. I just, I, I just wrote a paper this past week on culture and, and in a book I was reading, it was really interesting. It had the different approaches to, to culture and how throughout the ages you can see the different churches and they really do still line up now. We look at culture and when we think about culture, it's almost like it's a four letter word, culture, you know. But culture's not all bad. Culture is everything. We have a culture here. You know, you have a culture in your house. So if you see it as a, you know, bad thing, that's on you, right? <laughs> but the idea of culture is just how humanity works together and what we can come together and what we can create. But there's been different postures towards the idea of culture. And one is condemnation. This is where we, we look at it and we just condemn it. There's nothing redeemable in the world. There's nothing redeemable out there at all. We should just hole up. We need to find ourselves, you know, a cave and then live in it and then, you know, be perfect all by ourselves. It just, you know, ah, everything's bad. Stay away. What's the, uh, the next approach was critiquing culture. And this is kind of the ivory tower, you know, where as long as I talk about it, I feel, think I'm actually solving problems. Oh, I found all the problems. They're good for you. Were there any solutions? Oh, no. I mean, I think the solution is the fact that we found them. Great. The, the, the next one is uh, copying culture. And the idea that when we see culture around us, you go like, oh, let's hijack this for the kingdom. You know, they play that kind of song. Let's play that kind of song, only worse, and put Christian lyrics over it. And the world's like, yeah, I don't think I want to be part of that, you know? Because you know what counterfeits? They're just never as good, right? Like cover bands, you know? You usually see them at like 4th of July parties and stuff, and you're like, you are not the Eagles, you know? <laughs> you guys are just not quite, you know, there or whatever. And they always got some weird, like, uh, kind of funny name. God bless you if you're in the cover band uh, that's going to play at the 4th of July somewhere. But you know who you are. You know you didn't write those songs. <laughs> then the next one was consuming culture. And I think this is really where we're at right now as a society. There's no guardrails at all. We have no, it's like there's no difference. It's like, no, no, we just, we just need to be in the world and of the world. And we just can be part of everything that's going on. I think, but the, this is the point that was made, and I 100% agree with this. Christians are supposed to create this culture. We're supposed to create. We're supposed to bring something better. The idea of like, uh, you know, you go, oh, there's so many bad books out there. There's so many all this out there. Well, then tell a more compelling story. Think about like C.S. Lewis writing The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. That is an incredible book. The whole Chronicles of Narnia. And if you read it, you go, man, this is in amazing. And, it's, and it's, there's something peeking in me that's telling a story that I always knew I needed to hear. Like there, because we have the keys to eternal life, because we understand the beginning to the end, there's like a part in us that we can, we can bring out stuff that's at a soul level longings with solutions and answers. So something like that, where you're able to go peak interest, but you know what? It's not just like, you know, a, a very blunt, straightforward, here, here you go. No, Christians, we should be the most creative people that there are in the whole world because we're connected to the creator. 
But how does that usually work? One, we're either not connected to the creator or two, we're really lazy about it and we kind of just mail it in. You know, it's, it's funny. I, like, a lot of times I'm not, gonna, I'm not trying to trash anything here, but I, I, I just like, you can see, I get like a lot of like church videos and you're like, they all look identical. And I'm like, who made this formula? You know, like it all looks exactly the same. And it's not to say it's bad, but it's, it's just the same thing over and over again. And I'm like, man, I feel like let's do something different. Let's look a little different. Let's try to think a little bit different. Like in your own co- context, where you live, with the skills you have, with the upbringing you have, bringing something into the world, not just being scared and walling it off. This is the story kids need to hear. That they're meant to be creators and leaders of ideas and culture as opposed to being scared of every part of it. By the way, if they're not ready for it, don't give them the fire hose of gnarliness. I and mean, we, we, we're really careful with our kids what they consume. Because it's, it's like, you're not ready to hear any of this stuff. By the way, I'm not ready to hear some of this stuff or see some of this stuff. But there's like an element where all we do is hunker down and, and hide out as opposed to being those creative agents that we've been now free to be because of what Jesus has done. And now is restored relationship with God where he now talks with us and meets with us and works with us. And his idea is not over yet. The garden was great, but we're not going back to a garden. What's the end? Where are we going to be? It's a city. How is, what's a city? City is a culture. And it's God's creative elements. And I, who knows how all that works out together. But I believe that God didn't like make us and he's like, oh no, I made them. They are way, t- they think too much and they create too many things. Ah! Do we create terrible things? Oh my gosh, yes, horrible. We can use our minds to come up with the worst things. We can also use our minds to come up with some amazing ideas and things. But we are called in a time and a place and in a culture to utilize the resources around us for the good. How do we do that? We just look to the Lord to do that. But how does this happen? It's because Jesus is, we're not on like this weird legalistic thing where we're just trying to hang out. We now have this like flowing life. That's, that's the idea. We did Psalm 1 with the men yesterday. There's two paths. There's one that leads to life, that has fruit, that leaf doesn't wither. And then there's the other path, and that's because of what you meditate on and how you, the access that you now have been given and we have now especially been given to spend time with God and meditate on his word and, and let it be always on our lips so we are able to create and bring life everywhere we go or you end up being like the chaff. It's like just blown away because it's dead. It's got nothing. This is what the new covenant brings us to. Not just reconciliation with God for peace as far as like going to heaven. That's great news, but that we would be new now and have purpose in place now. Which is way more compelling and exciting. It needs to be told to the next generation. I I know I've said this multiple times, but I really think this needs to be told. Not just, hey guys, guess what? Sorry, you guys are done. You guys, it's too screwed up. It's over. You can't do anything. It's like, really? Okay. I guess I'll give up. You're a priest forever under the quarter. Uh, Okay, so verse, um, yeah, at at the end there, he says, we draw near to God because he's bringing in of a better hope. There's a better hope that's found in Christ. The law made nothing perfect. There is a bringing in of a better, better hope through which we now draw near to God. You see the end goal? Drawing near to God. 
That's the end goal. That's what Jesus did. Verse 20, and inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever under the according, according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety for a better, of a better covenant. Jesus has become a surety of the reality that we now have in the, in, with a better covenant. We know that it's enduring. We know that it's everlasting. We know that it's not limited like the one that was through the law. It's now a, a life-giving covenant. And we're going to talk a lot about the new covenant in the weeks to come. And I love talking about the new covenant. Because it's just, it's, it's so unexpectedly good. Yeah, I, I think when they thought about the good news it could possibly be, no one had in their mind that it could have been this good of news. And I, don't, I think even we, knowing the good news, cerebrally, we still have no clue how good the news, good news of the gospel is and how good it could be when we walk really, really close with Jesus. He wants to blow our mind with his faithfulness. He wants to, he wants to, to, to like, you know, blow us away. He wants to show everyone of how his riches and his grace and the blessings that he gives. Verse 23 also, uh, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who came to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Now, we have uh, the priests before, and they were, some were good, some were really bad. Some of the priests did a really good job and some of them did a horrible job. And they lived and they died. This is a priesthood that does not change forever. And he's able to save to the uttermost those, uh, uh, to, uh, those who come to God through him. Save to the uttermost. Like that's to anywhere, any, any. So it, first of all, it starts off with, um, bef before it was the Jews. Now it's the Gentiles too. So the Jews and the Gentiles, and now to the whole world. And then we have, again, this glimpse, since he always lives to make intercession for them. What does that mean? It's that Jesus is continuing in a posture of intercession towards the nations. That this news is, is for the whole world. It's, it's so interesting that there's like a... a an argument saying that, like, the, that Christianity was made up in North America or something. Like that we did it to like go you know, capture everybody else or whatever, it's, or Europe or whatever. Christianity has been in all, all the world for, for, for like over a thousand, like multiple thousand years. God's been not the whole world, but like it's over the span of it. God has been moving all over the world. And right now, as we see decline in the West, we're seeing a decline in some sense in the West, right? We, we see it. I, I don't know. I mean, at least we're seeing a decline in those who are lukewarm, are, are making a choice. But as we look at the rest of the world, the global move, I mean, Christianity is, is on the rise, statistically. Like, there are many people coming to Christ all around the world. 
There's mighty movements of God. I remember reading a couple years ago that the, the, the underground church in China has been growing so rapidly, even under persecution, that they were saying, I forget what year it was, but like, maybe like 2060, they were figuring it would be a mostly Christian country. If it was a, a majority Christian country, if it were to continue on that path. And there's many brothers and sisters in places like North Korea under horrific persecution or Afghanistan or Iran. There's a lot in Iran. Brothers and sisters in Christ, heavily persecuted. But God is moving and he's awakening. You know what the, the primary thing you hear, especially among, amongst Muslims, now brother and sisters in the Lord now that were, dreams. You hear it of it all the time, like Jesus just shows up. Like no missionaries are there or anything. Yeah, and all of a sudden Jesus just shows up and they're like, hey, he's like, follow me. And they're like, really? I mean, but the call is, is huge. And you gotta understand, this is the context that, that these people are, are living in a very harsh society. That's why they're thinking about giving up and going the other direction. That's why they're thinking about going back to Judaism because at this time, it would have been a lot less stressful to just say, now I'm just a Jew, man. I'm going back. I'm just a Jew. Because Christians were like, they were up against it. It was serious. My friend, when he's a missionary in Kosovo, and this is true with a lot of Middle Eastern countries too. I mean, that's Eastern Europe, but Muslim countries specifically. Is that when, when you choose to follow Jesus, your loving, caring family has no choice but to cut you out. And, and specifically in Kosovo, an extremely poor country in Europe, you can't survive with like mom and dad or one person paying the bills. They were living in many families together to, to make it work. And so what happens if now you have been cut out of the family because of your decision to follow Jesus? And now you are, uh, the church has to make its own family where people can now live with one another and overcome. This is a lot. And then you might say, you know what? If I were just to go back to my parents and say, you know, I'm done with that phase in my life, I, things could get a lot easier. Now, maybe none of these things are really uh, concerns for us, but the sentiment and the, 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 I guess, there's always something that, that you think, if I just went back, if I just went back, it'd be so much easier. I wouldn't have to deal with constant struggles and trials. And a lot of people I know in ministry, they're like, I'm so sick of getting beat up every single week. I'm done. I just don't want to do this anymore. Like, I still want to follow Jesus, but I need to get out of this. I'm, I'm sick of getting burned. Every, it feels like every single week. And so there's a reality of real stuff going on, gnarly stuff going on. And there's a, a tendency in us to think, ah, can I just go back? And the whole letter to the Hebrews is saying, there is nothing to go back to. Jesus is so much better. Continue on with him. You are gonna not be regretted at all. Remember the hopes. Remember the hopes that he's given you, the promises. Trust him to the end. He will, he will meet you. He will be there on the other side. And so it's worth remembering that as we're reading this to go, oh, this wasn't just in a place somewhere way over. It's like, this is in all of us. So he had, we have a high priest though that can save to the uttermost and is making intercession. And he's made intercession by his life, right? And then he's making intercession. We know he lives to make intercession for us. 
the idea is even he's like praying for us. Like what? You know? Verse 26. For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. How much better is that kind of high priest than the one they had before? So much better. And it's what we really needed. Because what was, what was the lamb supposed to be? Spotless, right? Without blemish. Who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. He didn't need to be cleansed daily because he was clean. He lived a perfect life. And then when he died for us, that was it. This was, this was the, the ultimate lamb. This took, took it all on. For the law points as high priest men who have weaknesses, but the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints the son who has been perfected forever. What an amazing high priest. What a friend we have in Jesus. And, and, and again, like we mentioned last week, marvel at the, the, the perfect placement of Melchizedek, of it being brought up again in David, this king. And then now we're shown a, a different kind of priesthood because Jesus could not have come from the Levite priesthood. It wouldn't have worked. He was a different priest. He wasn't of that temporal flawed system. He was greater than that. He was before that. He's after that. And then now we have this great high priest that is with us. And so th this is another thing to think about. When you're struggling, when we're going through stuff, when life is really difficult and hard and you like, don't know what's happening next, it's a struggle. Like he's with us. He's with us. He's not leaving you or forsaking you. That's one of the promises we've got to keep in our mind. He's not going to leave us or forsake us. He's not going to hang us out to dry. He's with us. He will be with us. And, the, and, and our, the, the blessing comes in our trusting in him by, with faith. Remember, again, Abraham, what was his righteousness about? Faith. It was through faith. And, and as he believed, as he trusted in him, then this is the, the result. So it's easy to, to, as circumstances mount up and things don't go exactly how we plan them to go, to go, man, I don't even know if I want to do this anymore. Uh, maybe there's a better way. Maybe I could find a, something else that'll kind of fulfill me or whatever. And it's like, you're not going to find what you're looking for, but you are going to start searching and searching and searching. And, and it, that can in and of itself become an absolute uh, pit to the bottom of hell. So we have to look to the Lord to trust, trust him and believe him and remember what he's done, the fulfillment in Jesus, our great high priest, the lamb of God who took on the sins of the world. And now we live in him. The life we live, we live in Christ. He has done it. It's done. It's over. He's, he's paid the price. And so that's just the, what good news. And so we do this in remembrance of him. That's when Jesus said, you know, he, took the bread and the cup, and we do this in remembrance of him. And we remember what he did. Why do we need to do that? Why do we need to remember that? Why do we need to bring that up again and again? It's because it's, it's the most important thing in our lives is remembering what Jesus did on the cross. One, to remember it's not that we don't have to do it. 
It's not of ourselves to do it, but also to remember that he who began a good work in you will complete it to the end if we continue to trust him and not to give up. And to like watch him do it to the end. He is so faithful. The story that was started in Melchizedek thousands of years later, you know, a thousand years later, whatever, Psalms. Oh, boom. Melchizedek. Interesting. Why is he there again? Thousand years later, Hebrews, whatever, a couple thousand years later. And you go, what? okay, that's really wild. What is this? Like, yeah, it's because he has had a plan and he has paid attention to detail and every little part, we know every, every word he says, none of it's going to pass away. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to join us in person, head over to steadfastcarlsbad.com for more info. God bless.